What's up, y'all? Welcome to episode 16 of Internal Budget. And I was... Wow, I was thinking the other day, like, it's insane how time flies. Even with all this quarantine garbage going on, you know, the last little while has just flown by. Episode 16, that's 16 weeks, four months of doing this podcast and I know 16 weeks is not like a crazy milestone or anything but to me it means a lot so before we get into things here I really just want to thank you guys for for listening to the podcast for doing everything I've asked rating it five stars sharing it with your friends downloading subscribing please continue to do all of that it really does mean a lot to me and thank you for getting us this far we've had some awesome guests. We've had some fun times, some laughs, some cries. <laughs> We've been all over the place, and this is obviously only just the beginning. So I'm very excited to keep doing this for you guys. And once again, thank you from seriously from the bottom of my heart. It means the world to me. Bit of a weird week where we've actually got a lot to talk about in Sensland. Last week was obviously more of an interview episode with Brock McGillis, LGBTQ plus advocate. Clearly not a great flip cup player, though. If you know, you know. (laughs) Uh, Make sure you check that one out. It was a super cool conversation with Brock. He's an awesome dude, and he's doing some really good things for hockey and hockey culture. So really worth listening to. But for all you unfortunate Sens fans out there who want to hear some chatter about your favorite hockey team, let's dive right into it. The speculation is over. It's over. After what seemed like 50 breaking news stories and this endless preamble towards an inevitable signing, the Ottawa Senators have signed KHL defender Artyom Zub to a one-year, $925,000 entry-level contract. It's been specula- it had been speculated since January that the Sens were in on Zub uh, as he looked to make his transition to North America. And finally, the speculation has been put to rest. Zub is an Ottawa senator. What does this mean? I'll tell you what it means. I really think this is a great signing for Ottawa. The little I've seen of Artem Zub... I like him. He's a good skater. He's got some nice offensive instincts. He puts up points here and there. And he's a right-handed shot, which is something that the Senators aren't exactly teaming with. Lassie Thompson may or may not make his jump to the NHL this year. Seems more likely that he'll spend the year in Belleville. Jacob Bernard Docker is going back to college. So right now, the only guys who seem to be locks on right-handed defense are... Nikita Zaitsev, and maybe Christian Yaros? Who knows? That said, Zub had a career season with SKA St. Petersburg this year. 57 games played, 13 goals, 9 assists, 22 points all in all. It's so weird talking about these KHL defenders coming over to North America because... It's hard to know a lot about them. It's hard to find good film on them. It's hard to, you know, find any analysts who know a ton about them. The KHL is kind of like, <laughs> it's the dark world. It's, it's, you don't hear a ton about it. But I have watched a little bit of Zoob from what I can find on, on YouTube. 
just little clips of him scoring goals or making plays or whatever. I, I like him. Um, he's he's solid, and that's what the Senators need is solid. Obviously, you're looking for superstar talent who isn't, but they need a guy who can just go out there and not be a liability. That's what they were hoping Nikita Zaitsev would be. He hasn't been. He's a defensive liability. Um, I don't mind Zaitsev. The thing is with him, when you compare him to Cody Cece, Cody Cece makes a, a makes egregious errors. You can see them plain as day. It's these god-awful turnovers and miscues that lead to chances and goals. Zaitsev does not quite the same thing. He makes a lot of small mistakes that you may or may not always notice. If you go to HockeyViz.com from Micah Blake McCurdy, who's an awesome resource for all things hockey analytics, you should definitely check him out. And you look at Nikita Zaitsev's isolated impact in his defensive zone, the Senators just get shelled when he's on the ice. Craig Anderson gets peppered. Anders Nilsson gets peppered. Marcus Hogberg gets peppered with shots. So they need a guy that they can roll out there and just be solid. Look, we, we know the Senators are probably going to give up a decent amount of offensive opportunities. They're not brimming with defensive talent. But it just can't be this constant firing squad style of defense and I think that's what they're hoping Zub brings to the table they had Dylan DeMello who was phenomenal in his end of the ice and now they don't uh, we've covered that trade probably more than it was worth I didn't like it then I don't like it now I think it's bad for Ottawa in the long run if DeMello's contract was too much for Ottawa to swallow that's one thing but now they need that right-handed top-pairing guy, or at the very least, a second-pairing guy that you can throw on the top-pairing every now and then. Is Artem Zub going to slide onto that top-pairing next to Thomas Shabbat? Maybe. Maybe not. If I had to bet, I would say probably not. But who knows? I've seen the, the comparisons to Zaitsev. They're similar body type. They're both right-handed shots. They both put up points in the KHL. If I'm not mistaken, Zaitsev was more productive offensively in the KHL. But it's one of those things where as much of a cop-out as it sounds, we're going to have to wait and see. I like the signing. It's one year. It's not for a lot of money on a team with oodles of cap space, which makes it which makes the risk non-existent to the Senators. You're always going to have that crowd that's like, oh, but it's taking away space from a prospect. Well, I mean, well, how many right-handed defense prospects do you think are ready to make the jump to the NHL next year? Yarosh is okay, but his ceiling's probably low, and he'll probably end up getting playing time anyway. We already said Bernard Docker's going back to college. Lassie's probably going to play the year in Belleville. Brandstrom said he likes the right side, but the Senators, for some reason, want to keep him on the left side. They've said this. So if he makes the NHL, it seems like he's going to be on the left side. Zub's a good option. 
I think it's a really good signing for Ottawa. It's low risk. It's not going to take time from a prospect. And it's a flyer. If they want to target somebody else in free agency next year or via a trade, they can do that. But for one year, show us what you got. Totally fine with signing Artem Zoop. Now let's get to what you've all been waiting for. I was hoping the announcement would be made today. So I would have a confirmation to talk about on this episode of the podcast. No such luck, of course. But it appears that the writing is on the wall. The 2020 NHL draft is going to take place in early June before the season resumes and hopefully the Stanley Cup playoffs are played out. Now, as it's been so well covered, that means the lottery gets restructured. And the rumor is that we're going back to 2012. Was it 2012? 2012, I think it was, where only the bottom five teams are going to have a shot at the first overall pick. Which means that for the Ottawa Senators, the absolute doomsday worst case scenario is they get the third and fourth overall pick. This is huge. I know people are maybe a little bummed about not having a chance to get first and second anymore. But what a dynamite situation for the Ottawa Senators this is. They get a shot at Alexi Lafreniere. They get a shot at Quinton Byfield. They get a shot at Tim Stutzel. And I don't know who you have fourth. Maybe Jamie Drysdale, Marco Rossi. But they're garen goddamn teed to get two of the top four players in the draft. In the best draft, probably since Crosby's year. Think back to the Eric Carlson trade. When Pierre Dorian insisted on getting a 2020 first over, or 2020 first round pick. Does he look like a genius now or what? I want to kiss that man on the lips. This is absolutely incredible. This is franchise altering for the Ottawa Senators. And I said this on Twitter today. I cannot think of a fan base more deserving of a break, more deserving of this kind of opportunity than this Senators fan base. Everything they've been through. Hell, everything we've been through. I'm going to throw myself in. That heartbreaking, soul-crushing, life-shattering 
years of trauma-inducing loss to the Pittsburgh Penguins in the 2017 Eastern Conference Final. The collapse after trading Kyle Turris for Matt Duchesne. The trading of Eric Carlson. The trading of Matt Duchesne. The trading of Ryan Dezingle. The trading of Mark Stone. And to say nothing of all the off-ice crap that's happened. Randy Lee. Every time Eugene Melnick stepped in front of a microphone. It's been hell. It's been hell on earth for the people of Ottawa and their fans. And these are good people. These are good hockey fans. Sense fans, you guys are awesome. You're the most underrated fan base in the league. And I say that with no amount of bias or anything like that. And now all this pain is finally going to be rewarded. So even more than what it means for the Senators on the ice, which is they're getting not one, but maybe two franchise players. It means so much. It's going to mean so much to the city, to the community, and to a fan base that has been long-suffering. I saw a statistic today. The Senators have picked two times in the top four in the last 20 years or so. One was Jason Spezza, and the other was Brady Kachuk. That's the level of player that the Senators are going to be getting with these two picks. And not just one, two. And the best part about it is, as a fan, you're not really worried that they're going to screw it up. You're not worried that they're going to go galaxy brain, go off the board, and completely blow this opportunity. And that's for two reasons. The first one is probably around half of this first round, maybe even the entire first round, is nothing but slam dunks. Alexi Lafreniere is the best player in the draft. You're absolutely taking him first overall. Quinton Byfield is the second best player in the draft. I absolutely think you take him second overall without a shadow of a doubt. Things start to change around third. You talk Stutzel, you talk Drysdale, you talk Rossi, you talk Raymond. But you can't go wrong in the first round of this draft. So even if you do go off the board, you're still getting a hell of a player. And on top of that, with the way that this Senators team has drafted over the last five or so years, they can't miss right now. I mean, touch wood. But I have a feeling, I have this weird trust now where even if they do stray from the consensus, that it feels like they're going to hit on it. 
I mean, it's what they've done lately. Like, for Pinto, like Shane Pinto, that was a hell of a weird pick last summer. Nobody saw that coming, I don't think. I sure didn't. And now Pinto is turning into one of the top prospects in college hockey. Lassie Thompson, great pick. Brady Kachuk. Pissed 90% of Sens fans off. Now he's their favorite player and probably, I think, by consensus, by fan consensus anyway, the next captain of the team. So now as a Senators fan, you're in this situation where for the first time in, God, I I don't even know how long. I'm trying to think of, as a fan of the Ottawa Senators, the last time there was this overwhelming sense of excitement. And not just excitement, but reassurance, where it felt like where it felt like everything was just going to work out, where everything was going to be all right. I don't know if the Senators have had a playoff run where it really felt like, man, this is our year. Even 2017, like I felt like I was biting my fingernails that entire run. It almost felt like they felt ass backwards into the Eastern Conference Final. There were moments there where it's like, man, maybe this is it. Maybe this is the year. Maybe this is the team that can't be beat. But this sense of collective calm, it's a, it's a new thing, I think. I mean, all the years I've cheered for the team, it's maybe in like the beginning of the 07-08 season when they were just a powerhouse coming out of the gate and they were tearing everybody up before the wheels fell off and they totally bottomed out. Wow. Wow. This is a really cool opportunity. This is a draft that's going to change this franchise for the next 10 to 20 years. Especially if these guys hang around long term, whoever they get. This might be the payoff. It really might. If we're talking top four, if I'm the Ottawa Senators, specifically, like I mentioned, Lafreniere is number one. He's heads and shoulders above everybody else. He's the best player in the draft. No question. End of discussion. Quinton Byfield, to me, and I know there's some disagreement here, is the second best player in the draft. And that's for a couple of reasons. Kids that big should not be able to move the way Byfield can. They should not be able to skate like he can. They should not be able to stick handle like he can. They should not be able to do offensively the things that he can do. His points per game number is absurd. I think maybe only Lafreniere had higher or something like that. I don't know. I'd have to double check that. 
In the CHL, I mean. But when you factor that in with the reality that he is almost young enough to be eligible for next year's draft rather than this one. What a stud this kid is. He played for the Sudbury Wolves. I'm from Sudbury. My entire family lives there. Love you guys. Miss you guys. The consensus that I've heard from him is the one knock on his game is that he's got to learn to use his size more, to be more physical. That way he'll win more puck battles, dominate time of possession more, and generate more opportunities for his team. He does those things. He's all around dynamite. But for a kid that young and for that to be the only knock on his game, Jesus, can't miss, especially as center. And this is something that doesn't get touched on a lot but the fact of the matter is, in the Atlantic Division that the Senators are in, you need centers to compete. You need elite centers to compete. These are guys that are going to have to go to head, head-to-head with Austin Matthews, with John Tavares, with Patrice Bergeron. You have to have guys that can outgun them, or at least play with them. Or else you're not going anywhere. Third, I'm probably taking Stutzel. I might venture to say that Stutzel is more NHL ready than Quinton Byfield. I just think Byfield's ceiling is a lot higher. But I like Stutzel. Like I said, NHL ready. Puts up points. He's good in both ends of the ice. He can play center. He can play the wing. Can't really go wrong with him at third. At four, if I'm Ottawa, it depends where that first pick was. If they got Byfield, you got your center. I'm comfortable with going after a Lucas Raymond, getting another winger, maybe even taking Drysdale, getting another right-handed defenseman. But I think if you haven't got a center, like let's say the Senators, imagine, if they pick first overall and they get Alexi Lafreniere. They got their winger. Now they go down the board to number four. I think you take Marco Rossi with that pick. Is it a bit of a reach? Maybe. You could make the argument that guys like Raymond and Drysdale are better players. But Rossi, to me, fills that need. He's a center that puts up a lot of points. He's very gifted offensively. There are concerns about his size, and that's valid. I know people don't like that, but it's valid. Not all small dudes can play, but a lot of them can. And Rossi's one of those guys, I think. He has, from what I've seen, awesome lower body strength. He is so strong on the puck. For a little guy, it's really hard to take the puck off him. He's very good at bending his knees, leaning into leaning into guys, and holding them off him. So, especially 
given the fact that he's probably going to, well, definitely, he's not probably, he's definitely going to put on size to play at the NHL level. He probably won't be totally maxed out physically until he's within the range of 23-25. That's a totally safe pick to me. I don't really have any concerns about his game translating to the NHL level. I think Rossi is the guy you go with at number four. But man, oh man. What a hell of an opportunity this is for this Ottawa Senators team. One more thing I want to talk about, and I touched on this a while ago in in an article for Silver 7. It's something we've mentioned here and there on the podcast. I firmly believe in giving credit where credit is due. I think that's a way you maintain credibility. It's why people listen to you. I like to think it's why people listen to me because I tell it like it is. And I try not to let my emotions or any biases I may have get in the way. I've been one of Eugene Melnick's harshest critics to the point where I can confidently say that the Senator's organization, probably not the biggest fans of me. I think he, I don't think he's done a good job as an, as the owner of the Ottawa Senators. He hasn't really shown himself to be a classy or even a good person. But he deserves a huge amount of praise for the way he's handled this coronavirus pandemic. Everything he's done, he's taken care of his staff at the NHL and the AHL level. And that's part-time and full-time staff. He has offered up Canadian Tire Center and Sensplex facilities to healthcare providers in Ottawa free of charge. He's even bought lunch for for healthcare workers out of pocket. I am not saying that this is Eugene Melnick doing a 180, that this is who he is now, and that any future that he has as the owner of the Ottawa Senators is going to be rosy. But credit where it's due. Eugene Melnick deserves a ton of credit. He has done everything right. The fact that he's taken care, that he's done all of this, well, he's pledged these facilities, he's bought lunch for healthcare workers, he's taken care of his staff. He has done all of this, while some NHL organizations, their owners haven't even ponied up to pay their staff. He wasn't the first, I'll grant you that. But it's better to be right than to be first. 
And to this point, he has handled it as well as one could hope to handle it. You're probably thinking those words are choking me, but like, no, it's, I'm, I'm happy to give this credit where it's due. I think a big step to repairing the relationship with fans is going to be by doing good things to the community of Ottawa. And that's what Eugene Melnick has been doing so far. Now, I don't live in Ottawa, um, so maybe it's not for me to say, but he has been an ally, in my mind, to the people of that community in a time of crisis. Thankfully, we haven't entered into a situation where it's been required to use a Canadian Tire Center or SensePlex facilities as you know, field hospitals or morgues. But the fact that he's willing to do that without charging rent for it, it's the right thing to do. And maybe I think that's been the biggest counterpoint of people who are staunchly anti-Melnick is to say, oh, well, he's just doing what anyone else would do. And it's, well, no, he isn't. Because there are plenty of other organizations in other sports and even the NHL that haven't taken these steps. So, Eugene Melnick, if you're listening to this, which I can almost guarantee that you're not, kudos to you. Thank you. And not only keep it up, but I really hope... You use this as an opportunity to turn over a new leaf in the community and on the hockey side of things. Those people in Ottawa and those Senators fans, they deserve the best. And if you're willing to give that to them, then I think it's going to be a really nice relationship. There's still hope. I mean... Who knows? Maybe things will turn around. Probably not, but it could happen. Before we get into questions here, I figured we'd have some fun. There's not a lot to talk about hockey-wise. We've pretty much talked about everything we can, all the big news stories. So yesterday was May the 4th. Today is Revenge of the 5th. Let me give you my Star Wars rankings. Why not? I grew up a huge, huge Star Wars fan to the point that for Halloween one year, my brother, or my mom, she made my brother and I Obi-Wan Kenobi and Anakin Skywalker costumes for Halloween. We had all the lightsabers. We had make-your-own-lightsaber kits. We had toys. We had video games. We were Star Wars nuts. And I am not the biggest fan of the new Disney movies, so I feel like my Star Wars fandom has kind of soured a bit. But there's still hope. I'm a fan of the Clone Wars series. I'm a huge fan of the Mandalorian. This is the way I would die for Baby Yoda. 
But let me give you an idea on where I stand with the Star Wars movies. Now, for the purposes of this rankings, it'll be the nine main movies or the Skywalker saga as they are referred to. And I'll rank them from ninth, my least favorite, to first, my favorite. Let's dive right into this bad boy. Number nine, Rise of Skywalker. It's episode nine. It's the most recent one. It is a soulless, lifeless, steaming pile of garbage of a movie to the point where it's not even bad enough to make him mad. I left the theater just feeling nothing, which was really sad for the conclusion of this epic Star Wars saga. It was just disappointing. But not unexpected. Number eight, Attack of the Clones. Just really messy. Um, peak whiny Anakin Skywalker. Not a lot of redeeming qualities to it. John Williams' score doesn't shine through as much. There's no really cool lightsaber battles. It's just a kind of cruddy mess. And they attempt this whole kind of Romeo and Juliet angle. It's just, it's bad. Ugh. Number seven, Phantom Menace, another really bad movie, but for me, at least, this one has a lot of moments where it's so bad that you can laugh at it, so I find it enjoyable. In that sense, a little more enjoyable anyway. John Williams' score, Duel of the Fates and the Lightsaber Battle with Darth Maul, epic. Qui-Gon Jinn, Liam Neeson, epic. So it gets it's a little more passable for me there. After that, The Last Jedi, I appreciate the risks that Ryan Johnson took. Um, I wanted him more to follow through on the Ray to the dark side thing. I thought that would have been a cool way to end it and her with her and Kylo Ren teaming up and set up for the next movie that way. I thought that would have been a cool risk to take. Alas, was not to be. I found much of the story was kind of nonsensical. Um, I didn't get it. Like There were so many things where I just shook my head and said, What? But visually, it's a stunning movie. It's so beautifully shot. Uh, far and away, the most visually appealing film in the entire saga. But definitely not my cup of tea. After that, Return of the Jedi. And I mean, it's a really it's a good movie, but it's just kind of eh, especially for the conclusion of the original trilogy. It just felt like you wanted more than Ewoks taking down the Empire. I just thought that was kind of a stupid angle. It's cute, it's funny, but not exactly right tonally for the supposedly epic conclusion of the original trilogy. Force Awakens comes in at number four. It's fun. Um, Substance-wise, there's not a lot to it. A lot of times it kind of feels like this derivative rehashing of the original, of A New Hope. But fun movie set up the new uh, trilogy well, even though number eight and number nine may not have followed through on that anticipation that it built up. Number three, Revenge of the Sith. That might be a surprise to some people, but I really like it. Maybe it's nostalgia talking, but it's the first Star Wars movie that I got to see in theaters. 
the lightsaber battle on Mustafar is awesome. Um, I really like the direction they took with Anakin killing the younglings. Um, <laughs> Jesus, wow, that sounded dark. But um, yeah, I love how this guy went around killing kids. But no, um, it was a dark turn that needed to happen to make that transition to Darth Vader believable. I think storytelling-wise, it was a really smart decision. The whole Order 66 thing was cool. Um, I enjoy it. Uh, not perfect by any means, but I, I like it. It's one of my favorites. Number two, A New Hope. What can you say about it? Uh, it was totally revolutionary. It Nothing like it had ever been seen. And it's the movie that set everything in motion. It established Darth Vader as one of the most iconic villains of all time. Obi-Wan's arc where he kind of passed the torch to Luke was awesome. And it made this kind of ragtag group of Luke, Leia, Han, and Chewbacca this really cool, lovable team. And I don't know. It's a really it's a really great movie. And it still holds up. And number one, the best of them all, obviously, The Empire Strikes Back. I'm a big fan of movies that are willing to take a risk, especially in the sense of leaving the heroes defeated in the end and setting them up as needing to find redemption in the next film. Infinity War is another one that did that really well. But Empire is a masterpiece, far and away my favorite. So thank you for indulging me in my being a movie buff and my nerdiness because uh, my girlfriend's sure tired of listening to it. Let's get to some questions. That's what you're all here for. What are your thoughts on the June draft and the proposed changes to the lottery? Uh, well, we kind of went through that. How does adding two top three picks change the team's fate next year? Is it enough to get them into playoff contention? Or are you anticipating another season of being towards the bottom? That's a really good question. Um, I think it's going to depend um, on the offseason as well. But I don't see why the Senators can't at least be in the playoff conversation next year. Maybe that's them finishing somewhere between 16th and 20th, as I've said before. But, yeah, I don't see why getting a Lafreniere, getting a Byfield, getting a Stutzel, a Raymond, Drysdale, Rossi, any two of those guys doesn't push the Sens towards more being a more competitive team next year. <sighs> what kind of beer is Zub drinking? I don't know, probably something gross and Russian. Which brand of cookies best represents Brady Kachuk? <laughs> I would say he's Rainbow Chip because he's colorful and fun on the outside, um, but he's crunchy. Crunchy. Jesus, Brandon. Um, <laughs> maybe he's hard internally. Oh God! How, oh, this is a train wreck. Um, <laughs> uh, but he's not soft. Let's put it that way. Um, he's colorful, but he'll mess your day up. If the Sens select Lafreniere and Byfield, how soon should we plan a parade? Uh, the day after, we should plan a socially distanced parade. If I could only eat potatoes in one form for the rest of my life, what form would I choose? Fries. I mean, how can there be any other answer? I love potatoes in all forms, but fries are obviously superior, especially now they're saying Canadians are being encouraged to eat more fries because they're having problems with the supply chains and the potato harvests. I am willing to make this that sacrifice for my country. 
what kind of beer am I drinking? Uh, Mill Street Organics, my favorite. Um, that's what I'm sticking to mainly. I try not to drink too much beer, but that's my that's my poison. Thoughts on the White Claws? I love them. Uh, shout out to Finnegan's Ghost because he got them. He got me to try them live on the podcast. Uh, lime ones are my favorite. I know they're not the consensus favorite. I know people like the mang, uh, the cherry, the black cherry or whatever it is. Um, but I really like the lime. And guys, that's it. That's all you get. Okay. You want better stuff? Pay for it. <laughs> Thank you for listening to episode 16 of internal budget. If you enjoyed what you heard, and even if you didn't, humor me. Rate the podcast five stars, share it with your friends, and subscribe. Folks, we're getting there. Numbers in Ontario especially are starting to go down. Let's keep it that way. Please, even though the weather is getting nicer and you're dying to go outside and take selfies and sit on patios, stay home, stay healthy, stay safe. See you next week for episode 17. Take care, y'all.